Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Fitter, Healthier Dad podcast, where you can learn how to improve your diet, lose fat, and get fitter in a sustainable and fun way without spending hours in the gym. Here is your host, Darren Kirby. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. This is the number one podcast for dads in their 40s who want to improve their health and fitness. This is episode 78, and today we are going to be joined by Dr. Rongan Chatterjee. Well, we'll be discussing how much better you can feel by just dropping some weight. Dr. Chatterjee has just released his new book, Feel Great, Lose Weight, and his mission is to help 100 million people feel fantastic by restoring them to optimal health. And it is his belief that we have overcomplicated health and he wants to simplify it. Hi, Dr. Chatterjee. How are you? I'm really good. Thanks, Darren. Happy New Year to you. And to you indeed, yeah. It's uh, January the 4th at the time of recording and um, yeah, a, a bit of a different Christmas, no doubt, for the majority of us, but uh, still a nice time to kind of relax and spend a lot of time with family, I think, which was uh, very good for me personally this year. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's uh, 2020 certainly has been really challenging in so many different ways for, for all of us. And I know for many people, Christmas is very different this year. Yeah. Uh, nonetheless, I, I managed to switch off for a couple of days and really spend time with my wife and my two children, um, yeah. which is absolutely fantastic. And now, you know, I'm in the back of the swing of things, really, because my book's out. I'm sort of doing a lot of promo at this time okay. of year. Normally, I'd be on the road, actually. So the last three years at this time when I've had a book out, I've been in London for a week doing press and PR. Right. And obviously, we're not traveling. So, yeah. I'm doing it now from my podcast studio here in my, in, in my garage, which it sounds great. And on one level, it is great because instead mm. of being away from my family for a week, yeah. I'm with them. But what I've realized today is that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing my interviews and then I nip inside to the kitchen to get a cup of tea or make, make a coffee. And my kids are on me and they want to do stuff and yeah. they want to play. I said, Daddy, have you finished yet? And it's... And that's great and it's lovely, but I realise actually that when I'm in London, I can switch off and yeah. although I miss my family, I can really just get in the work zone. So I think, I guess what I'm saying there is a boundary between work and home is something that many of us have struggled with over the past few months. And it's certainly something uh, that I'm, you know, I have my own challenges with for sure. Yeah, definitely. I think it's an interesting point you raise because, you know, when we're on the other side of the coin, like you say, when you are away from home, you have that other side of it where, you know, you kind of look forward to spending time with your kids, look forward to being at home. And then, like you say, when you do go in the kitchen, I, I don't know about you, but I feel a little bit conflicted because you you know, family is very important to me and kids are very important to me. And then when the kids ask you to do something and you're in the midst of essentially your working day, right? And then you have to say no to them. I, for me, that really, I get very conflicted with that. And I, yeah, I do struggle with those boundaries. Yeah, me too, Darren. I, I've had a lot of guilt over that over the years. I've actually done quite a bit of work uh, on myself and trying to figure out where that comes from. Yeah. And I certainly think that it has uh, some of its roots in childhood and the way I perceive things growing up. So I definitely have this feeling of guilt sometimes, yeah, uh, which I've worked hard to let go of. And right. I'm a lot better than I was. 
still there from time to time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that part of it is easier when you are away. Mm. Um, but I think yeah. overall, I prefer being in my own bed every night and I love getting to have breakfast with my, my wife and kids every yeah. morning. Uh, absolutely for me absolutely i completely agree so um so for people that haven't come across you and your amazing podcast and everything that you that you do around um nutrition medicine can you give us a brief background as to how you've ended up to where you are today yeah sure so you know i'm coming out to 20 years of clinical practice as a doctor you know i started off in hospital medicine, I thought I was going to be a specialist, did a lot of exams to be a specialist, and was getting a little bit frustrated with medicine, actually, getting quite frustrated of how specialized we were becoming, uh, which has its merits for sure. But I felt certainly for me, like I was, I was studying kidneys, so I was going to be a nephrologist. Okay. And I strongly felt that I didn't want to see kidneys for the whole of my career. I wanted to see <laughs> everything and how everything connects with, you know, how different organs, how if different symptoms all connect with other symptoms and other organs. And so I made a step to move to general practice, did my GP exams. And there's a couple of key things that happened really for me. One was when my son was six months old, my wife and I, had just gone on holiday just after Christmas uh, to Chamonix in France to stay at my friend's place. And, you know, my son had a convulsion. He stopped moving. Um, We had to rush him to the hospital. He uh, was there for five nights. The the doctors were really worried. We thought we were going to lose him that first night. Um, and And it transpired that he had a preventable vitamin deficiency, a vitamin D deficiency. And he had what's called a hypocalcemic convulsion. So he had a convulsion coming from two low levels of calcium in his blood, which right. was because of this vitamin D problem. Right. And it was one of those moments where everything changes, really. You, you suddenly yeah. see your life in a completely uh, different perspective. And I've been having my frustrations with medicine up until that point, if I'm honest. Okay. But, but there was a real, real clash for me, which is acute medicine Modern medicine saved his life. So in that moment, right. gave him an infusion, gave him what he needed to solve the problem. Yeah. But they didn't then give me any advice on, well, how long could this have been going on for? Is there any impact of not having had vitamin D or calcium in his body for maybe the last six months? And as I started reading more and more about it, I was like, well, hold on a minute. Vitamin D is a critical nutrient for your immune system. Right. And it can impact all kinds of things like your gut microbiome, your skin, and I thought, well, maybe that's why he's got bad eczema and allergy. Yeah. And I really didn't feel that the medical profession were giving me much help there. Okay. And, you know, I am part of that medical profession. Yeah. And when we left the hospital in France five days later with my son, I made myself a vow that day that I was going to get my son back to full optimal health as if this had never happened. Okay. And I became obsessed. I started reading three, four hours on vitamin D, on nutrition, on all kinds of things. Every single day, I was just absorbing and learning all kinds of information. And the truth is, is that I learned so much that I thought, why do I not know this? I, I, yeah. you know, I've, I've been to one of Europe's most prestigious medical schools. I have an immunology degree. I've got my specialist exams, my GP exams. Yeah. How do I not know a lot of this? So I, 
applied what I learned with my son. He's now a thriving 10 year old boy. Uh, he's really, really healthy. He's a, you know, just amazing uh, kid to be around. I applied the same principles with myself and my friends and my family. We're all feeling better than we've ever felt before. And then I start applying those same principles with my patients. And I find I'm using less medication than I've ever had to use yeah. before. I'm actually getting to the root cause of a lot of people's problems. So I've really developed through that. I've really got this mission and my mission over the course of my career is to help 100 million people improve the quality of their lives. And I feel strongly that we can do that via health. Yeah. You know, it's, not, it's not about health for me. It's actually much more than that. The reason my podcast is called Feel Better, Live More is because when we feel better in ourselves, we get more out of our lives. We get more out of our free time. We get more out of our relationships. We get more out of our children. We yeah. get more out of ourselves. But health is that necessary first step for me. And the big thing I see out there is that we've overcomplicated health. Yes. We've made it so tricky. It seems it's something we think is about deprivation and punishment and restriction. When I want to show people health is actually about compassion to yourself it's about fun it's it's um it's a necessary ingredient that helps you live your best life and it can be fun and enjoyable and so my mission is to simplify health but it's also to show people that it's not as hard as you think yeah i, I that that invokes such a big emotion in me because this is why fit a healthier dad exists because the, the you know your phrase of um you know feel better live more is so true because until i discovered what real health was you know i was an overweight city worker who didn't really pay any attention to his health because you assume as a human that you're bulletproof and yeah. if you have good health in some ways you are but and and it, and there's a phrase you know you don't know what it's like to feel good until you feel good and and you know and it is so so true and i and i agree you know and i think that i always use the analogy of a, of a car and you wouldn't ever run your car to the end of its life without ever having a warning light or ever having it go into the garage but why do we as humans why do we run ourselves into the ground or ignore these little warning signs that we get and and just try and carry on, just try and carry through it, you know? It's a great point, Darren. And, and what you said there, I, I really like was these warning signs. Because for most of us, these warning signs or signals, they're there. Yeah. But are we listening? Yeah. You know, we're, we're deaf often to the noise. We plow through, we'll have another drink. We'll watch, you know, we'll binge more, a bit more on Netflix. We'll... Yeah. We'll power through that fatigue with more caffeine. Yeah. We'll go, you know what? No, I'm, you know, I'm a man. I'll get through this. Yeah, I'll take exactly, more yeah. coffee, right? Hey, I've been there. I know what it's like. But so many people are walking around in a haze and they don't know how good they could feel. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I, I mentioned relationships a lot because I think many cases of relationship problems, whether it's with your partner or even with your kids, are often actually health problems because mm. when we're not feeling good in ourselves, right? We're not, we don't show up in a really yeah. present and meaningful way in our relationships. We're ratty. We know, for example, sleep, sleep is something I'm so yeah. passionate about. 
We know that if you sleep, let's say five hours a night compared to eight hours, a part of your brain called the amygdala is up to 50% more reactive, right? That's the emotional wow. part of your brain, yeah. right? So we can measure that it's up to 50% more active. So you're more emotional. You, you, you know, we all know that feeling when you haven't slept well. What are you yes. like with your partner or with your kids? Are you patient? Are you attentive? No. I know I'm not. And over the past few years, I have evolved my own lifestyle practices whereby I give sleep the very top priority. I mean, I block off that time and I am diligent with not letting anything interfere with it as much as possible. Yeah. If I sleep well, I'm a better human being. I'm a better doctor. I'm a better husband. and I'm a better father. Yeah, it, it is so true. And, and I think it's important that you to, to realize and recognize what you just said there around the other different elements, because when I speak to other dads, they don't necessarily understand when, when they when we talk about fitness and health, they kind of see just those two pieces. And I see it as part of a bigger puzzle. So the like you say, the emotional side of it, your your mindset, your sleep, hydration, all these little really simple things that we take for granted, I believe, are all the different pieces of the puzzle that if you put them together, you absolutely do feel amazing. And like you said, you know, you don't then you you have more energy and you're more effective, you're more efficient. You don't necessarily need to be burning the midnight oil at work or, you know, doing late night things because you feel so good. You want to get that sleep. You want to be hydrated so that you can perform at your best. Yeah, but feeling good gets addictive. I mean, yeah. waking up, there's nothing I like more than waking up refreshed, having a clear head, thinking, right, I'm going to yeah. have an amazing day today. Yeah. And it starts the night. It actually starts the evening before. For me, it starts at the timing of my evening meal, actually. Right, okay. Because... That's something I've realized in my own life in the last few years is that if I eat relatively early in the evening, mm -hmm. and I've tracked this as well, my sleep quality is much better, which then has a knock-on effect the next day in terms of how I feel, how engaged I am to go out for a walk, how productive I am with my patients or at work. And so, you know, we've all got to figure out what works best for us, but... A lot of people have this obstacle there where they think health is just too difficult yeah. to have time for health. Um, but we all do, actually. And, and the, the book I released last year, which was really, really popular, was, it was called Feel Better in Five. And everything yeah. in that book took five minutes to do, just five minutes. Yeah. And everything was free. And the, yeah. I was trying to showcase that, look, health and well-being can be quick, and it can be, you know, accessible to everyone. And that's something I'm really passionate about. Yeah, like you, I, I feel that I feel a similar way because there is a there is a conception around health and fitness that it is expensive, whether whether you're talking about a gym membership, whether you're talking about food, you know, but it doesn't have to be when you have the knowledge. And this comes back to, to kind of education, really. Um, and I could go off on a whole tangent and I will, will ask you, I'll come back in uh, later on to, to ask you about education and specifically with children uh, and nutrition in schools. But, what, you know, thinking about your, your book and food, 
obviously food is a, is a is a, a hugely big part of our lives from a obviously from a, a fuel perspective for the body but also there's a big social element to food and the way that we show, socialize with our friends and family around food but i believe that we've lost the understanding of what real food is so I, i know that's quite a big kind of topic but what's your view on what real food is and the the kind of benefits benefits that that uh, are from eating real food yeah you're right that that is a big question first of all i think we need to define what is real food and because mm. everyone i think has a different definition of that i love the term real food i use it a lot with my patients they tend to really understand it they seem to to get it Uh, real food, the way I see it, is basically minimally processed food. It's right. food that's instantly recognizable. So meat that looks like meat, fish mm -hmm. that looks like fish, vegetables that look like vegetables, fruit that looks like fruits. It sounds so obvious and simple, yeah. but it's amazing how much in inverse commas food we are now consuming that you can't quite tell what it is or where it's come from. Right. Mm. So um, and I think it's a simple way to cut through all the dietary tribes and all the fighting about which diet is best is to go, look, you may want to play around with different diets or different ways of eating. But the principle that most of us, I feel, should be adopting if we can is to eat a diet of mostly real foods. And why yeah. is that so important? Well, A, it nourishes, yes, your physical health but it also nourishes your mental health, which a lot of people are not aware of. The food you eat absolutely impacts your mood. So yeah. some of my patients, actually, they thought they had mood problems, mm -hmm. right? Whether it's anxiety, depression, and amazingly how many of them, I can think of quite a few who actually had huge improvements just from moving to a real food diet. Not everyone, wow. right? I don't yeah. wanna, yeah. wanna imply that everyone does. <laughs> And there's really good research to suggest that. So why is real food so important? Well, you can't, it's very hard to overeat a real food meal. Yeah. Like let's say a leg of lamb, some sweet potatoes and some broccoli. You don't tend to binge and overeat real food or what I call one ingredient foods in the new book, okay? Yeah. Secondly, you tend to feel fuller for longer. Yep. So it's food that tends to not leave you needing to snack again one hour, two hours later. Um, and the third reason I think we should focus on this is because when you eat foods like this, you are, you are more able to resist what I call in the book, blissy foods. These are these highly processed foods that have been designed by food manufacturers, which are full of fat, sugar, and salt in various combinations. Yeah. Uh, things like salted caramel um, or, you know, and if, if anyone heard that term and their stomach's starting to water already, okay, or their mouth is starting to water, yeah. it's because these products are designed to do that. Okay, 50 years ago, salted caramel didn't exist. No. It is an invention by food scientists to spike the release of a hormone called dopamine in your brain. We know about dopamine, we know we get dopamine hits on social media. We know gamblers and uh, alcoholics get dopamine hits when they consume their chosen drug or yeah. engage in their chosen behavior. Well, you know what? Food can give us dopamine hits as well. And mm. it tends to be these really, really tasty, hyper-processed or what we call ultra-processed foods that have been designed to do that. And what's interesting about when you have these dopamine hits, 
you start to condition your behavior. Yeah. So you you start to really want the same foods again. So if you feel tired, you have a chocolate bar and it makes you feel good with a big hit of dopamine. Next time you're tired, guess what's being released in your brain? Guess what you're being triggered to do? Yeah. And then if this keeps going on and on again, what happens then is that even the smell of that food or the size of that food triggers the dopamine, which is why many people know that feeling when they go past a bakery or they go yeah. past their favorite junk food restaurant from the past and they get that smell and they get that memory and they really struggle to resist. It's because of dopamine. So when we cut through all that and go, I'm not saying don't ever have some of those, no. you know, foods, you know, and, and I would always say people that are entitled to do whatever they want. I'm not here to tell people what they should or shouldn't be doing. All I'm trying to do is share information to say, listen, if you try for a couple of weeks, if you go right for the next two weeks, I'm just going to eat mostly real food, whether that's breakfast yeah. lunch, or dinner, just see what happens. See what happens to yeah. your energy, see what happens to your cravings, see what happens to your sleep. Mm -hmm. you, can, you can make the decision if you want to continue after that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, like, I, yeah, like you said, just try it. But I think the other challenge that people have now if they are used to these foods that we've been talking about, so the ultra processed foods, is that the palate has changed and developed such that when you have normal nutritious food, it's almost like there's not much taste to it, or you don't get that big hit of sweetness or the big hit of sourness or whatever hit you get from the, from the ultra processed foods. And therefore the initial reaction is, oh, this is not nice. But once you've gone through that phase, and then if you then try some ultra processed food, where it's way too salty, way too sweet. Yeah. I mean, what you said there is actually very empowering because what you said there shows us that our taste buds can change. Right. Right. So we've we've already shown that they can adapt. Now, let's try and think of this. If I, if I broaden the net here a little bit, I would ask everyone listening to this right now if they remember their very first sip of wine or their first taste of beer. Yeah. Well, I remember. I do, yeah. I thought it was disgusting. Yes. Like, yeah. I thought it was absolutely disgusting. But then I go off to university and everyone's, you know, frankly getting hammered in Freshers Week every night. And so you <laughs> drink more and you just, you know, you're trying to fit in and you drink yeah. more and more. And then by the end of the week, you love beer yeah. and you love <laughs> yeah. wine. But the start yeah. of the week, you didn't. No. And your taste buds can evolve. And if anyone's ever, you, you know, has sugar in their coffee. I used to, a few years ago, maybe 10, 12 years ago, when I started drinking tea, I was quite late to tea and coffee, actually. Right. Um, and I'd have sugar in my tea. And then I stopped. I can't remember when I stopped. So the first two or three weeks, it was really hard. Uh, yeah. Maybe for two weeks. To, to, but after... I think about four or five weeks, I picked up someone else's tea at work by accident and it had sugar in it and I had to spit it out. I thought it was mm. disgusting because in just those few weeks, my taste buds had readapted. And I want to give hope to people to go, listen, if you think you crave, I don't know, pizzas every night mm. and chocolate and crisps, number one, those foods are designed to do that. So you're not weak. You don't lack yeah. willpower. Okay. You can't fight your biology. But if you really think for the next two or three weeks, I'm going to clear out my house. Okay. I'm going to just yes. bring real food into the house. We're going to make a concerted effort. I guarantee your taste buds will start to change. 
Yeah, definitely. And it's very interesting what you said there um, around, you know, people thinking that they're weak or they can't do it. I speak to so many of my clients who I work with and say, oh, I've got something to tell you. You know, I binge at night. I'm And I try to say to them, look, you're no different to anybody else. You know, we all have these challenges. We know whether it's boredom at night or anything, you know, and it causes you to binge, you know. And and the other thing around the the kind of taste buds changing and things like that, you know, we are all the same. We have all been conditioned, unfortunately, through the food that we consume by the supermarkets and our taste buds and palates have changed. So it's just kind of recognizing, really, I think, is that none of us as humans like change. We all like a comfort zone. But if you are serious about really, you know, optimizing your health, and I think 2020 was the biggest wake up call that I've ever seen in my lifetime for people to say, actually, you know what, we really need to start considering and making it part of our daily routine to be aware at least of what is good and what is healthy. And and the other thing, you know, and this is something that I'm very interested in. You as a very highly qualified doctor have only in the last however many years come to this place where you've now understood that how important food is. And it's not just a case of, well, kind of relying on the NHS, so to speak, for, for them to manage our health. And I, I truly believe, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, whether or not you think the NHS is sustainable in its current state, where we are taking the approach where we fix as opposed to try and educate and prevent? The short answer is no. I don't think it is sustainable in this current state. And I think to really understand why not, I think we need to look at what's really been going on. How was the NHS formed? What was the health landscape in the country when it was formed. And as a doctor, you know, 30, 40 years ago, the bulk of what we used to see were acute problems. So Mm. problems that really did respond quite well to our one pill for every ill model. You know, if you came in with a chest infection, um, we would diagnose it and go, okay, take this antibiotic three times a day for a week. And then, hey, presto, your chest infection has gone and you can go back on and live your normal life. Mm. The problem is now, is that the health landscape of the UK has changed, not just the UK, frankly, the Western world and beyond. That 80% of what we see now is in some way related to our collective modern lifestyles. I'm not putting blame on people. No, no. I I absolutely understand life is tough. It's tricky. There's all kinds of pressures and stresses on us. But the truth is, is that 80% of what a GP like me sees in any given day is in some way related to the way we're living, whether it's anxiety, depression, gut problems, migraines, insomnia, fatigue, you know, you name it, right? Mm. You can make a strong case that our lifestyle plays a role in all of them to uh, differing amounts depending on the person. Mm. But we're not trained as doctors what to do about that. Okay, this may surprise people, but we are not trained in nutrition and lifestyle as doctors. Right. We're very much trained to diagnose. And then we're typically given protocols whereby to, once you've diagnosed, let's say you've diagnosed that this is a migraine. Mm-hmm. These are your drug options mm-hmm. for your migraine. Right. And what I've realized is, and I teach a lot of doctors and I've created a course called prescribing lifestyle medicine that's been accredited by the Royal College of GPs. And 
taught a few thousand healthcare professionals and okay. doctors now, and we we're, we keep improving that course. It's getting more and more popular because doctors are not trained this. But like I, I mentioned a migraine there. Well, you could have 10 people coming to see you with a migraine mm. and there could be 10 different causes. Mm. For one person, it could be stress-induced. And if yeah. you help them address their stress, it might reduce their migraines. For somebody else, it may be that they're reacting to one of the foods they're eating. Yeah. And we need to help them address that. Uh, for someone else, maybe they've got tightness in their, uh, in their neck from stress or work-related, and actually a bit of help there might reduce the pressure. I mean, there's all kinds of different yeah. reasons. And so... Is the NHS the same on its current form? No, because I think the NHS has been designed around treating illness. Yeah. It hasn't been designed around promoting health. Mm -hmm. um, and we're trying to do more and more of that now. But actually, the system, the way it's set up, isn't set up for that. You know, no. these 10-minute appointments that we have as GPs, they're not set up to help promote health and well-being. And that's why, yes, I had that experience with my son. Mm-hmm. But there was a couple of other things. And, you know, I, didn't, I, I did this uh, BBC One primetime series for, for two years called Doctor in the House, where I went into people's homes for four to six weeks, people who had chronic illnesses, type 2 diabetes, fibromyalgia, anxiety, depression, irritable bowel syndrome. And every single family, I helped them either completely reverse their symptoms or right. get them dramatically better in just six weeks, all using lifestyle change. And yeah. I, I was so fortunate to be able to show the, the UK public, I think we had about 5 million people watching every week, right. that a whole variety of different conditions can be improved by small changes to our lifestyle. Yes. And that's what I'm passionate. And that's what in every book I write, including this new one, which yes, is around, loosely speaking, you know, around weight loss, but it really isn't actually. It is and it isn't. I mean, it's, it's called Feel Great, Lose Weight, it's to try and hit people who are looking to lose weight. Yeah. But the truth is the principles in there are universal and will help anyone, myself included. It's about physical health, mental health, emotional health. And above all, it's about making it simple so that people don't get bamboozled. Yeah. And people go, yeah, you know what? I can do that. I can actually yeah. do that. I think I'm going to give it a shot. Yeah, and I, yeah, I think I think that's so important because there is a conception that we there is all too complicated and it's not achievable for, you know, the, the average parent or the average father. And it when you break it down, it absolutely is. And I, I think to come back to the point you made earlier on in the interview about, you know, if you look at all of the diets out there, they all come back to standard principles. And when you start to eat a nutritionally, what I call a nutritionally balanced diet, the kind of whole um, dieting thing goes away because you, you, like you say, you feel fuller for longer. You have more nutrients in your body. So you feel better. So you can do more. So you move more. So your energy expenditure more. And it's just a big, it's almost like a big snowball effect, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. And, and the, the, the beautiful thing about the snowball effect is, is that you can enter wherever you want, right? So I, what I mean by that is I talk about uh, these four pillars of health, right? Yeah. Food, movement, sleep, and relaxation. Mm -hmm. And I've always said that these are the four core pillars, right? Four pillars that actually, 
not only do these pillars have the most impact on your health and well-being in the short term and the long term, there are also four pillars that you have a fair degree of control over. And I think that's really important because I could come and talk to you about air pollution and how problematic that is for our health. But actually, there's not that much that we can individually do about that. So I always prefer to focus with my patients, but also my readers or podcast listeners with the things that they can do, that they can own themselves. And I say those four pillars are equally important. And they all feed each other. Now, you can enter that wheel wherever you want. You may be someone, like a lot of people say it starts with food. Sure. It might do for some people. And, and for many people, myself included, yes, it did start with food. Going to a whole food diet made me feel so much better mm. and it led to me moving more. It led to better sleep. It led to all kinds of what I call knock-on effects. But I've got patients who didn't start with food. They mm. started moving a little bit more and just yeah. moving more each day improved their self-esteem, their self-worth, how they felt about themselves, which led to them cooking healthy meals in the evening and getting more sleep. Some people, stress is the big issue. If they can reduce their stress, sleep better. When they sleep better, they don't crave as much sugar and they want to eat well. So I'm saying for people listening, right? I don't want any of this to put you off. I want, you know, what I'd love is every single person who listens to this go, okay, which of these four pillars do I need the most work in? Because most of us know, for me, it's stress, right? Mm-hmm. The truth is my diet and my movement is pretty good because I have, um, you know, I've been working on it for years. I, I've made right. small changes that are now being built in and instilled where I don't need to think about it as much, mm-hmm. okay? But I'm going to get more impact from actually doing something around my stress each day than I am trying to improve my diet by 5% or so. And I think, yeah. I think can, I, can I share one thing that I do that I think for dads listening would be potentially really absolutely important. absolutely so my last spot last year was on about habit change and about all these five minute interventions and i i would share this story that really connected with people and it's basically this idea okay first of all how do you make a habit right how do you how do you make a new but how do you turn a new behavior into a long-term habit there's rules to follow that we don't follow okay yeah. we um Let's break it down. Okay. Rule number one is you've got to make it easy. Why do you need to make it easy? You need to make it easy because we over-rely on motivation when we want to make a change. So at the start of January, as we're recording this, motivation is sky high, right? So some people are going to say, I'm going to go for a jog for one hour, three, four times a week. And you know what? They do it. The first two weeks of January, they will do it. But third week of January, when real life gets in the way and the motivation yeah. started to wane and it's dark and it's raining, it's like, oh, man, yeah, oh, yeah. I, can't, I don't want to do it, right? The thing is, we don't plan for that, and we should. Uh, Professor BJ Fogg calls us the motivation wave. The science shows that motivation goes up and motivation comes down. Yeah. You can be damn sure that your motivation will go down. Yeah. So yeah. the, the, the scientific research would say, plan for that. If you make your habit easy to do, even when your motivation is low, you're still going to do that behavior if it's easy. Whereas if it's hard to do, you'll only do it when motivation is high. Yeah. So that's rule number one. Now, business know this. Amazon and Netflix know this, right? Yeah. So Amazon, when they moved to one-click ordering about five or six years ago, 
profits went up by $300 million a year. Right? Why is that? Well, before you had to, you know, you had to go to the checkout, then to the yep. basket, then the next screen, put your card details in, then your expiry date. There's four or five steps to take. Each step is a reason to back out and not make that purchase. Yeah. Since they made one-click ordering, before you've blinked, something's arriving the next day, right? They make it easy yeah. so you do it. Yeah. They do that to get you to buy more products. We don't apply that when it comes to our health. We think, right, I need a big January reset this year. I'm going to throw everything out of the cupboards. I'm going to get a set of dumbbells. I'm going to go jogging four times a week. I'm going to uh, stop using technology for one hour before bed if we get my sleep sorted. Yeah. And we just set ourselves up for failure. Right? So <laughs> yeah. Make it easy. And the second tip is you really want to think about where, do you gonna, where are you going to put that new behavior into your life? Yes. So often we don't think about that. We think I'm going to work out, but we don't think mm. when or, or, you know, or when in the day is that going to go? And we know that every single behavior needs a trigger, right? So me having this recording with you today, my trigger was a Google calendar notification saying, yeah. ah, you have an interview to record with Darren. Okay, that's my trigger. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty good trigger. Mm -hmm. uh, another trigger is your memory, yeah. right? Oh, I remember at 3.30, I meant to talk to Darren. Well, that does work. It's just the most unreliable trigger that exists. Yeah. And that's the trigger many of us use for behavior change. The very best trigger, Darren, is when we stick on the new behavior onto an existing habit. Yes. Right? That has been shown to be the most effective way of, of actually setting up and getting that behavior to stick in the long term. And mm -hmm. that's what I do. So every morning I make coffee, right? It comes to mm -hmm. the kitchen. Yep. And I'm a bit, you know, I like my coffee. So I weigh out my coffee. Yep. Then I pour in the water into the French press, into the cafetiere. And I put a timer on for four to five minutes. In those five minutes, I don't go on my phone. I don't go on email. I don't go on Instagram. I do a workout in my kitchen, in my pajamas. Right. Sometimes it's body weight. I've also got a dumbbell in my kitchen. Sometimes I use a dumbbell. Yeah. I don't have time for the gym. I'm, I'm a busy guy, like many people listen yep. to this. I've got two young kids. I want to try and spend time with my wife. You know, I have an elderly mother who lives nearby who needs looking after. I'm a busy guy, but I stay in pretty good shape. Yeah. I don't go to the gym. I do a five-minute workout yep. every single morning. And Darren, I don't think I've missed a day in three years. Yeah. And the reason I'm not missed a day is not because I'm more motivated than anyone listening. It's because I understand behavior change and I've set it up where it's very hard for me to fail. That dumbbell, yeah. I, I actually have to trip over that dumbbell to get to my coffee. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I don't put it away in the cupboard. In fact, my wife and I used to have discussions about this, about where we could put it. <laughs> and I said, listen, babe, if that goes in the cupboard and it goes away, I am unlikely to do yeah. the behavior. So I think it's in our interest that for me to look after myself is that if it's visually there triggering. That is a simple thing, Darren, that every mm. single person listening to this right now yeah. can think, oh, well, is there, is there a habit I have every morning? Like, do yeah. they make a cup of tea or a cup of coffee? What can you stick onto that? Yes. You know what I mean? And I've used that with so many Absolutely. patients. A lot of guys in their 40s I've used this with, and it has been completely transformative for them. And actually, if you want to go... You know, if you want set workouts and in, in feel great, lose weight, I put together the three, what I think are the very best whole body okay. 
exercises that one can do yeah. and take minutes to do. Yeah. Minutes. Do you know what I mean? And I say, yeah. I put my pajamas. Why yeah. do I put my pajamas, Darren? Because if I have to get changed, yes. point, yeah. I just go, oh, I can't be bothered today. I'm going to get yeah. all my emails. Wow. Yeah, I absolutely love that. I think it is so, so important to set yourself up for success. And I completely agree with what you're saying. You know, put something in the way so that you actually can't walk past it without doing it. You know, you, and you have to pick up the dumbbell to move it so you <laughs> yeah. don't do the workout. You're still yeah. picking it up. <laughs> exactly. So it's, and I think psychologically, it's been proven that men are the least um, resistant to kind of change and obstacles and they don't like they want something new they want something gadgety and they want something quick if somebody puts something in their way that means that they have to do like the amazon scenario will have to do five clicks they're less likely to do it you know if you put a physical object then obviously you've got to step over it or pick it up to do something so i yeah i completely agree and i think it's and I, the other thing is is kind of just doing that one thing make do that one thing and make it consistent so that it becomes unconscious. I, I love that, Darren. And I want to I want to really hammer home that point as well. You know what? At this time of year, you can go on your Instagram feed and you can see 20 different things that you, in a business should be doing. Yeah. Right? And you can get motivated and go, yeah, I want to do that. I want to do this. I want to do that. It's like, hold on a minute. You know, and I, I, I've been guilty of that in the past. Right? Mm. I've, I've tried to do too much because I'm like, oh, that sounds great as well. Pick one thing. Maybe it's that what I said about uh, a bodyweight workout in the kitchen or keeping a dumbbell or a kettlebell in your kitchen. Why do I say kitchen? Because a kitchen is a place that we tend to pass through several times a day, particularly now when yeah. people are working from home. You know, what, here's a little twist on that, Darren. Keep a kettlebell or dumbbell in your kitchen, right? And every time you go into the kitchen on a daily basis, let's say to put the kettle on or grab something from the, from the fridge, why not do five bicep curls on each, on each arm? Yep. Super easy. It'll take you about 15 seconds. Because what happens then? It's like toothbrushing. All right. Toothbrushing was not a habit when we were three years old or four no. or five, right? We needed our parents to keep reminding us and stand over us and keep telling us we need to brush our teeth. Yeah. And of course, we still do that now with our kids, right? But, <laughs> yeah. but at our age, it's become a habit. It's become a habit. We have cultivated it as a habit. Mm. We've made it easy. So it happens at a set time in the morning and in the evening. When yep. you go into the bathroom, for most people, the toothbrush and the toothpaste is there. You don't need to get go into the lock yeah. to get the toothbrush out. Or you don't need to go into the downstairs cupboard to say, oh, let me get some, some toothpaste yeah. from here. You've made it easy. That's why it's a habit. And we can apply the same toothbrushing principles to every other aspect of your life. And if yeah. all you do is do a two or three minute workout in your kitchen, in your pajamas, every morning for the next yeah. two weeks, I guarantee you will start to feel better about yourself. You'll start to notice your physique changing a little bit. You'll just mm -hmm. feel a bit stronger, a bit more powerful. And that itself will lead to you wanting to make more changes. So I always yeah. say, start small, be consistent, and just watch, you will start to make more changes, not because I've asked you to, no. but because you want to. 
Yeah. And, and that is such a, an important point you made about having, having the dumbbell or the kettlebell in the kitchen and having that awareness, that conscious and awareness that when you go and make a cup of tea, do five, you know, bicep curls or kettlebell swings or whatever. And when you compound that over five days and say you have, for example, three cups of tea a day, you know, and you do those, so that's 30 curls a day. If you do five on each arm, compound that over a week, that adds up to a huge amount. And I think, you know, when you're talking about your five minute workouts, like, curls in a week, yeah, 210, is, which is like over 800 a month. Yeah. Just from that. It's, it's incredible, isn't it? When you really break it down and you think of it like that, it is absolutely incredible. And, and this whole misnomer, I believe, that's been instilled to us by the gym industry, and that is we must work out for an hour. No, you don't need to work out for an hour. Not at all. Yeah, you know? I agree. Listen, if somebody's listening to this and they love working out for an hour, that is, that is all great. Yeah. Right? No one, I don't think Darren nor myself are trying to say stop doing that. That no. is fantastic. I think what we're trying to say, and certainly what I'm trying to say is that don't let that be an obstacle. Five minutes is enough. Yeah. Right? You can get a lot done in five minutes. Mm-hmm. Let's say you're listening, you don't like strength working out. And yeah. you want to do an interval workout. Okay, here's a, here's a simple one for you. Pick a whole body exercise. Let's say a star jump, right? Yep. So most people can do star jumps if they're physically able, okay? Do a star jump. Time it for 30 seconds and then rest for 30 seconds. Repeat that five times. Okay, you just, you've just done a five-minute interval workout. No equipment, yep. no faff. Got your heart rate moving. Got a bit of better insulin sensitivity. You know, works out your muscles. In just five minutes, it doesn't need to be hard. And when you make it hard, actually, that becomes an obstacle to actually doing it. Yeah, it does. And I completely agree with that because particularly, you know, if you're in your kind of early 20s and you don't have the responsibilities of a family and everything else, nine times out of 10 in the days when we used to come home from work and everything else, there will be some kind of situation, whether that's, uh, you know, a kid's club that needs to be got to or whether that's a, a drama in the house or something else. And unfortunately, at that moment, the last thing you're going to be doing is working out. So that all gets thrown out the window and that's it. Workout's gone for the day. Whereas if you take the approach that you've just outlined, it can still be done. You know, you'll have five, 10 minutes later on in the evening. Yeah. And the thing is, right. And, and it, Everyone's got to set up their life in a way that works for them. I know if I, well, I don't need a reminder to make coffee in the morning, right? I don't need no. a Google calendar notification. <laughs> I don't need my PA phoning me up at 6 30 saying, wrong, and you must remember to make coffee. Yeah. No, that is an automatic behavior that I do. Therefore, it is the perfect time to stick on a new habit, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what I've done. And I know if all I have done is that five minute workout, even if the day gets stressful, even if I don't get time for lunch, I know, man, you know what? I'm worth it. I've given myself five minutes. I've prioritized myself and it makes me a better dad. It makes me a better human being. And here's the other thing, which I'm really passionate about. My kids often see me do this stuff, right? So they often join in, right? And then if if anyone, you know, obviously it's it's a dad's podcast, one thing I've learned in 10 years of being a parent, the, probably the biggest lesson I've learned is that kids don't do what they, what kids don't do what you tell them to do. They do what they see you doing. Yeah. So I'm like, if I want my child to be active, 
and to prioritize their health and well-being, well, I need to model that behavior. If I model that behavior, yes, I get the benefit, but they see it. We've got this little thing where in the evening, just before uh, dinner time, We'll either put some tunes in the kitchen and have a bit of a boogie together. Yeah. Or we'll do, you know, we'll do like one minute of squats. It's just a thing we do before dinner. Yeah. And I, you know, I sit by myself and then my son and my daughter, who's now eight, it's like, oh, daddy, we, we, she sometimes reminds me, daddy, we're not doing squats today. I'm like, oh yeah, sorry, darling, let's do our squats. Yeah, yeah. And we just do our squats together. Yeah. And something happens. I feel different. But then you're connecting with the people around you. Yeah. You're connecting with your kids and you're modeling I think really great um, principles and behaviors yeah. that, that we want to instill in our children. Yeah, I, I love that. I, it's so, so important. That is, and you make such an important point. The fact that kids don't do what you tell them to do. They do what you do. So you lead by example, you know, I, and when I got into triathlon, I didn't force my kids to do it, but both of them have done the little mini triathlons because they've seen dad doing it. And all, you know, all kids want to be like their parents, right? And so if you want your kids to do certain things, if you just lead by example, naturally, they will just want to follow because um, it's almost like that that kind of acceptance. They want to be accepted by the parents. And I don't mean that in a pushy kind of, you know, adverse way. It's just kind of, it's instilling out healthy habits and kids grow up not knowing what goes on in the world or not knowing how to act and manners and everything else. And if you show them how they, you know, how you believe it's supposed to be, they will just naturally follow. Yeah, no, so. I absolutely agree. I think it's, you know, I think it's so important. And if, you know, someone's listening to this, Darren, and they're, they're struggling with motivation and they're mm. struggling with self-esteem and it, and it feels overwhelming sometimes a lot of people don't feel motivated enough to do things for themselves. Yeah. It often comes down to self-worth on a, on a core level. Maybe a good starting point is to go, well, maybe I'll do this for my children to start with. Maybe, maybe I'll do that. I mean, he does it in the morning over his coffee. I'll do it just before dinner when the kids are around. Yeah. Maybe I'll do it for my kids. That's yeah. okay. Start whatever motivation you need to get started because starting is the key when you start you start to build momentum yeah. right um get going do something no matter how small and the momentum will start to build and you'll want to do more but don't please don't procrastinate and go right i need to i need to figure out what is the best five minute workout to do right i'm going to get all the magazines i'm going to read up for the next three weeks on what is the best five minute workout so what is the best dumbbell i should find <laughs> yeah. I, I, and I'm saying because I've been there. Yeah. You know, oh, no. Maybe, oh, God, maybe that cast iron one's a little bit better. Yeah. Oh, God, that review says that. You know what? They're all just about, for most things that most people need, of course, not at a high level, they're, they're fine. Just get yeah. something and get cracking. And I think it comes back to your one of four pillars, and that's movement. You know, take out this whole exercise thing, move. And I often say to people, walking is hard highly underestimated you know we assume that we have to go and smash out a workout you don't walk 10 to fifteen thousand steps a day and that has so many benefits a physical emotional you know energy perspective yeah Darren, I, I give a lot of uh, corporate well-being talks to companies and i often say i say okay i'm going to tell you my my, my top tip for well-being now mm. And the second, what is that? I said, go for a 15 minute walk every lunchtime without your phone. 
Yeah. And they're like, is that it? I'm like, yeah, it's the most low tech <laughs> intervention there is. Yeah. It's one of the most impactful things to do. I'll tell you why. And it's even more relevant now that we're all stuck at home yeah. working, right? And we're not getting out or commuting. Well, not everyone, but most of us, right? Yeah. A walk at lunchtime, I did, you know, if you want to listen to something on your phone, great, but without looking at your phone and doing mm. emails and Instagram whilst you're walking, it's so impactful. What does it do? First of all, you get natural light exposure, right? Yep. One of the most underrated ways to sleep better at night is to expose yourself to natural light in the day. Mm-hmm. Even on a cloudy day outside, you get probably, you know, about 20 times more light exposure than you do in a brightly lit indoor environment, okay? And you need that to help set your circadian rhythm. So that's the first reason. Yep. Second yep. reason, we all know it's good for our physical health. We get blood pumping around the body. Uh, it's good for your mental health. It helps improve your mood and your well-being. Number four, it helps you be more creative yeah. and more productive when you get back, right? So if you're working hard and you can't solve the problem you're trying to solve, go for a 15-minute walk, come back. There's a part of your brain called the default mode network that only kicks into gear when you stop focusing on something. And that part of the brain does many things, but it also helps you solve problems and be more creative. Yeah. So that 15-minute walk each lunchtime has so many knock-on benefits. And again, for people listening, if you're unsure where to start, ask yourself, could that work for me? Could I make a commitment to myself in the next two weeks, every lunchtime, before I have my lunch, let's say, or just before I get back to my office desk, can I go for a 15-minute walk around the block? Yeah. And if you can, you know, maybe get an accountability partner, maybe tell one of your friends, Hey, yeah. I'm going to do this. Can you let's let's WhatsApp each other each day to, to motivate each other? But let's both do it every day for the next two weeks, and then in two weeks you can assess how you feel. Yeah, and you will know the benefits yourself. You won't need me to tell you them. You will feel those benefits. Yeah, definitely. And I would definitely advocate actually going out without listening to anything. And I've recently started to do this. And the gratitude that you have and you feel for the ability to walk outside, to be in fresh air, to be in nature, to appreciate nature. And some people listening to this might think that sounds a little bit woo-woo, but just consider for a minute that there are large parts of the world where you cannot do that. In war-torn places and all places like that, you know, lock down everything else. And to actually be grateful for the fact that you can walk, you can be in fresh air, you can be in nature has a profound impact on your mindset and your, your happiness within. And I, I think that's really, really important. Yeah. I think that's such a lovely point to make Darren. And, you know, we can say woo woo, but the truth yeah. is that gratitude has got a lot of science behind it as well. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yes, the Buddhists have been talking about being grateful for thousands mm-hmm. of years, but like with many of these ancient practices, we're now getting modern science backing up what humans have intuitively known for a long period of time. You know, uh, a simple daily practice of gratitude helps us with our physical health, our emotional health. It helps us feel better even two or three months later. Some some uh, yeah. studies have shown it's really incredible what it can do. It can help your sleep just that feeling of, of shifting your attention from your negative uh, to the positive. Mm. So it is something I'm, I, I, I love. I think that's a really, really great tip for people just to be appreciative that you can walk in relative safety 
um, you know, if you are lucky enough to, to, to do that, like I can and you can, Darren. Yeah. That's a wonderful thing to be grateful for. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before we finish up today, the, the question that I was going to ask you at the beginning, but I think it's right to ask you now. And that is, as we move forward, obviously, into 2021, and obviously we still have this huge threat to our health. You know, my, it's my belief that, you know, our diet and our food is a fundamental element to dealing with this, this pandemic. But one of the things that I believe that have, that's been lost, particularly for children in the education system, and that is the education around food and nutrition. And obviously, like we've just been talking about with leading by example, if we as parents and adults can, can lead our children and, and educate them as to what nutrition is, that will help. But what kind of role do you think or what do you think needs to happen in the education system to enable that for our children? Yeah, I mean, this is a topic I'm very passionate about and actually wrote a section on this in the book, including some sample letters that people might want to use okay. to send to their headmasters or head teachers. Um, I, 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 this is potentially a slightly controversial, um, but yeah. I really do believe it. I, I think there's no place anymore for junk food or unhealthy food of any sorts to be served on school grounds. Um, and I'll tell you why I take that approach. At the moment in the UK, one in five children start primary school overweight or obese. By the time of secondary school, that is one in three kids. Okay, by the time of secondary school starts, a third of children in this country are either overweight or obese. How can we possibly think anymore it's okay to serve crisps, chocolates, fizzy yeah. drinks in school premises? My belief is that the school grounds, well, school per se, should be the model educationally, yes. Behaviorally, yes. Mm -hmm. But also nutritionally. Yes. Why should that not be the base standard that we accept? This is not about being a nanny state. This no. is not about telling people what they can and can't eat. Children outside school, their parents, they can decide for themselves with full autonomy what mm -hmm. they want to put inside their mouth. I'm simply saying, once you enter the school gates, we should, you know, we should just make it universal that we don't serve junk. Yeah. And A, I think would benefit the kids because actually the, the kids will not only have better physical health, they concentrate more. We know your concentration is linked to what you're reading. Yeah. They would be more engaged. Every teacher would want more engaged students. Okay. But also, and I really face this, if you're trying your best to raise healthy children who understand what good food is, a lot of your efforts can be absolutely sabotaged yeah. by the school to the point where actually if your child wants to make healthy choices, they actually end up almost being social outcasts that they won't engage in the chocolate and fizzy drink culture yeah. in some schools. Not all schools, I, I no. accept that. Um, you know, I've been looking around secondary schools recently because my son, well, before, when I could or when we were allowed to. Yeah. The amount of them who had vending machines selling chocolate. Yeah, yeah. And I, I spoke to one of the headmasters about it. And they go, you know, it's, it's important to give children choice. Um, but that, 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 I, I understand that that headmaster, I believe, was genuinely believing that it's important to give children choice, right? I, I always see the best mm. in people. But I think there's a big misunderstanding there about what choice really is. Most... Uh, research scientists will now tell you that most food choices are subconscious. Right? Yes. 
we, we the, the, there is an illusion of choice mm -hmm. right if there's crisps and chocolate bars and fizzy drinks there that is an illusion of choice uh, i mentioned hormones before i mentioned dopamine um yeah. the environment will determine a lot of our behavior we know there's some studies which show that if a, if a school doesn't allow snacking or eating in corridors and in classrooms the bmi goes down by 11 percent yeah that's not changing anyone's individual behavior. It's just saying, as a rule, there is a set place to eat. You can't just eat wherever you want. And yeah. so coming, this is quite a long-winded answer, but what do no, I think no. happen? I think kids need to be taught how to cook at school. I think yeah. it's a, a fundamental life skill that is as important as maths or English. Yeah. Um, I think we should be teaching nutrition at schools. Mm -hmm. But I think most importantly children get their sense of what is right and normal about the world from what they see at school. And yeah. therefore schools have a very important role to say, no, we're only going to serve healthy, nutritious food here. Yeah. Um, and I, I find it, I find it incredible that in 2021, me saying something like that is considered to be controversial. I, I find it truly baffling. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I, I think a lot of people will take it from the standpoint that you're trying to demonize obesity and, and that's not what you're saying. You know, you, you're trying to say that in order for children to grow and, and thrive in the way that we'd like them to, we have to fuel them with the right yeah. food, nutrients or whatever. And, you know, I'll come back to the car analogy again, you know, you wouldn't put diesel into a formula one car and expect it to win a race. And therefore, why do we allow highly processed, fat, sugary foods to be ingested by our children and then expect them to concentrate in class and I'm to give their not, best? I'm, I'm definitely not, you know, if anyone does read the new book, Feel Great, Lose Weight, it is a compassionate approach to weight loss. It mm. is absolutely the opposite of fat shaming. It is about being kind to ourselves, really understanding what those root causes are and helping people understand their behaviors better. Yeah. I, it's not about that. It's about, you know, there, the environment is one of the biggest determinants on our health. You know, the, the truth is, and it was only in the 1980s that obesity rates started going up. Mm. We didn't suddenly become the first generation of humans ever to be lazy and gluttonous. No. no our environment changed. The world around us changed. Mm. We took our, if we, if you go back in a time machine and get our great grandparents and bring them to 2021, 65% of them would also end up being overweight or obese yeah. like, like is in the population. We, we are products of our environment. Yeah. We can't change that all the environments, but two environments I'm passionate that we should be changing are the hospital environment and the school environments. Yeah, I can. I completely agree. I, I, you know, I couldn't agree more. I think it's um, and it, and I think we are in a, a fairly unique time in history where we have platforms. Ordinary people like me have a platform now to kind of share this information to help people understand if they so to choose. So. It's been an amazing interview. Thank you so much for giving me your time today. I really, really appreciate it. Um, but before we wrap up, what five things do you think um, we could give to the listeners today to take away that they could implement uh, into their lives? Okay, I mean, I've got so many, but let's think of five tips. Okay, so eat more real food. Yeah. Okay? Don't beat yourself up if you can't, but just try your best. Maybe have a two-week trial of that and see how you feel. Number two, keep a kettlebell or a dumbbell in your kitchen. Every time you pass yeah. through it, do 
five bicep curls on each arm or some kettlebell swings. Uh, and if you want, keep a record in your kitchen. A little yes. TikTok. It really, really works. If you look at habit change, really, really works. My kids, me and my wife, we've all got our own in the right. kitchen and we tick off every day. It's how we help to motivate each other to yeah. keep going with our little behaviors. So that would be tip number two. Uh, tip number three, I think this is very important for guys um, who often can be not so good at staying in touch with their friends. Yeah. Um, and it's a big problem because male mental health problems are going through the roof. They were pre-pandemic. And I, I just, from what I've seen, I shudder to think what the stats are now in terms yeah. of mental health. And, and for guys, I would say, make seeing your friends, sorry, make talking or connecting with your friends a priority, mm. right? Often we're eating or we're snacking on sweets or biscuits or crisps, not because we're hungry, but because we're lonely, right? Yes. And you do this a lot with men. Um, and I know this one with myself, you know, my wife had made a lot of friends at the school gate and mm. we'd see mums regularly. And I was just busy working and all my friends from uni would live miles away. And I, I don't really have a close group of friends, mm -hmm. but I've realized during this pandemic that a, a quick call to one of my mates of five, 10 minutes, I'm something I don't want to snack anymore. It was, it was yeah, just, that's a great... it wasn't a hole in my stomach. It was a hole yeah. in my heart that needed filling. Yeah. Um, so that'd be tip number three. Number four for dads, you know, I think this is a really important tip. It's something I try and do. Prioritize undistracted time with your kids, right? Quality is more important than quantity in my experience. And I think there's some research to back this up. So even 15 minutes where you're, the phone's in another room. So yeah. you're not kind of hanging out with your kids, but also checking your email. I'm not criticizing. I've been there. I've done that. But 15 minutes of undistracted time with your kids will be yeah. so valuable for you and for your children. I guess my final tip would be prioritize sleep. It, it literally raises up everything else in your life. Uh, in all my books, there's a lot of simple tips on how you can do that. I will say that 99% of people who are struggling with their sleep are doing something in their lifestyle that they don't realize is impacting their sleep. Yeah, there are sleep disorders that need treatment like obstructive sleep apnea, but for the vast majority of people, it's a lifestyle issue. And there are some tips in this podcast, you know, natural daylight in the day, yeah. try and keep your caffeine to the morning uh, and really try and have a switch off in the evening for an hour or two before bed. I think it's so, so important. Amazing. They are very, they're, they're great tips. And I, for one, you've made me realize that whilst I spend time with my kids, I don't spend dedicated time with them. So I, for one, I'm going to implement that into my life. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much. It's, it's been an amazing interview. I really, like I said, really appreciate your time coming on today. So how can people connect with you? Where can we go and get the book and all that good stuff? Yeah, look, so the new book, Feel Great, Lose Weight, is pretty much available everywhere, you know, on all the online retailers and all the supermarkets, if people are interested. Um, look, I'm pretty active on social media, so... Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Chatterjee, which is D-R-C-H-A-T-T-E-R-J-E-E. -E -E. Twitter is at Dr. Chatterjee UK. You can always ask me some questions. Um, probably the best place is my weekly podcast is called Feel Better, Live More. I'm very lucky. It's the most listened to health podcast in the whole of Europe now. And it's one of the favorite things that I do each week. Every Wednesday, we release long form conversations about anything, health, relationships, mindset, 
Um, literally, the episode I released on New Year's Day is going viral. It's about this lady, this 93-year-old lady who was in Auschwitz. Right. Uh, and she's 93 now talking about her experience and talking about what she's learned. And I tell you, if you think something's tough in your life at the moment uh, and you're struggling, have a listen to that episode yeah. because she helps us put everything in perspective and the warmth, the forgiveness, the empathy, the compassion with which she speaks is, is really quite something. And what, I just want to leave you with this from it, where she says, I've been in Auschwitz, but I can tell you the biggest prison is the prison we create in our own minds. Wow. It, it's so, so powerful. So yeah, they're the places to connect with me, uh, but also my weekly podcast. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. And I really love that you're doing the bite-sized versions as well now because I love your long form and I really love the short bite-sized ones as well because they're yeah, really Yeah, that's a really new thing just to try and make content that's more relevant to people. And mm-hmm. actually the other thing which people might be interested in, um, if they go to my website, I've just recorded a five-part video series, a free video series on sleep. Uh, I should know the URL. I'm really sorry. <laughs> go to chatty.com. Yeah, it should come up as a pop up, but there's literally what you do is you pop in your email address, and there's five free videos on sleep. That if you're struggling, they may help you. So, um, yeah, yeah there, there are some places if anyone's interested. Yeah, absolutely. Check out it, does come up as a pop up on your website. I was on there earlier on today, and all the books are listed on there as well. So, guys, go and check it out. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on again. I really appreciate your time, and I look forward to speaking to you again in the future. Yeah, me too. Take care, mate. See you later. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Fitter Healthier Dad podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit subscribe. And I would really appreciate if you could leave a review on iTunes. All the links mentioned in the episode will be in the show notes. And a full transcription is over at fitterhealthierdad.com.